Welcome to Why I Hate Your Podcast. These days, there are a lot of podcasts to choose from. This is another one. I'm Crystal, and each week my brother Sean and I meet up to talk about two podcasts and why we hate them, or don't. Join us and we might help you find your new favorite podcast, or save you from wasting time on a podcast you might hate. All right, so today we're going to be talking about a podcast series called Saving Apollo 13. This is a limited run series uh, hosted by Dr. Sean Brady, who is a forensic engineer. Incidentally, had I known that forensic engineer was a job, I would have wanted it. That's very cool. It's basically his telling of the Apollo 13 mission, and everybody's kind of aware of Apollo 13. Presumably, you've heard of it, at least heard the movie. And it's put out by, or I guess in partnership with a company called Wavelength Creative. It's interesting because that network is, from what I understand, they're really, well, they're Australian, and they're specifically a company that helps companies produce podcasts that sort of help them reach their customers. So technically, he's producing this as a function of his company, which is Brady Haywood, which is a forensic engineering firm. So it's an interesting kind of concept, marketing concept, I guess. I don't really know how that works, if I'm honest, but it's a, it's a limited run series. It's about Apollo 13. I love everything NASA. I know you're the same way, especially the Apollo era. So when I first found it, stumbled across it, I'm like, well, I'm totally gonna listen to this. And the official description is that saving Apollo 13 is the incredible story of NASA's Apollo 13 mission told by forensic engineer Sean Brady. It is the story of the spacecraft that failed en route to the moon and the feats of human ingenuity that saved the lives of the three men aboard. I listened to this well, a couple of years ago for the first time, and then I listened to it again when we were on a road trip and I was trying to find a podcast my husband would be interested in listening to uh, for that road trip, so we listened to it again at that point. You started listening to it for this podcast, for us to review it. How, how many episodes did you make it through? Uh, I got through four episodes. Um, okay. And with time constraints, obviously, because busy week and... Lots of podcasts to listen to. Uh, I I do. I am. It, I am definitely going to finish it though, because uh, you know, like I said, it's a limited series of six episodes. Each episode's like an eh, hourish long, so you don't have this like huge commitment. So that's always mm-hmm. that always feels good when I have those kind of podcasts to listen to, because it's you just know that there's a finite end to it, and you could be done with it essentially. But I say that like as if there's some kind of dread, but it's it's very good because you're listening through this guy. Like you said, he's a forensic engineer, which I have no idea what that is. I'm assuming if something goes wrong, they call these people in to figure out what went wrong, which Apollo 13 is like the perfect <laughs> the perfect case for <laughs> somebody like that. So as you said, it's the retelling of it, and it is incredibly well produced. That's one of my kind of my first notes is that the production on it's really good. His sound quality is good. And there's no generic intro to it. Each intro is kind of specific for that episode. There's, uh, I don't, I don't even remember if there's any ads. No. There aren't any ads. No, there's not. The only ad, yeah, the only ad that's, it, you can't really call it an ad, but at the end of each episode, he does mention, because he says this was made in partnership with Wavelength Creative, and then he gives a short little blurb about what Wavelength Creative can do to help oh, right. companies connect, you know, et cetera. It's like this 30, not even 30 seconds, it's probably 15 to 20 seconds, right. and it's the end of every episode, but that's it. There's no other ads. Right. And it kind of reminded me of like Park Predators because there's sound effects, but it's kind of just more ambiance and it's not really intrusive. Uh, He does cut in a lot of like the radio chatter as well, which is great because that way you can get a lot of context. And and sometimes he'll just he'll just say it instead of playing the audio. So it's kind of like a, a mix. Sometimes he'll just repeat the quote or he'll actually have the actual direct radio communication playing as well. And again, like I said, the sound effects, it's all there for ambiance and it's very muted in the background, nothing really major. You know, talking about the rocket or the the limb kind of banging around, you might hear some thumping in the background or something. Uh, but it, it's done really well. It's not annoying. It's not intrusive. It definitely had that kind of that park predator vibe, which you had said that the ambient sound effects were really well, well handled. It's now over two days into the mission. Apollo 13 is about 200,000 miles from the Earth, with another 40,000 to go before it gets to the moon. Kranz's shift has been a quiet one, and it's coming to an end. Soon he'll take his white team off console, and they'll be replaced by flight director Glenn Lunny's black team. Kranz stands up and looks across the four rows of consoles in mission control. The front row of consoles look after where Apollo 13 is in space and where it's going and contains the retro Fido and Kaido. The second row keeps the men and the spacecraft functioning properly. There's the surgeon, the Capcom, the ECOM, the GNC, the Telmu and control. 
Now, the Capcom or Capsule Communicator is the only person in the room that can speak to the crew, and they're always an astronaut. And on shift tonight is Jack Lausma. Now, beside the Capcom is the ECOM, and they look after the health of the command and service module, and they make sure all the electrical and environmental systems are working well. And tonight on duty is Cy Liebergott. Now, behind this row is Kranz's row, the flight director's console, where Kranz is standing. He's in the middle, and to his left and right are other consoles which look after activities and instrumentation on the flight, such as the INCO. And behind Kranz, in the fourth row, are reps from the Department of Defence and a few other people, with a key person being Chris Kraft, the Director of Flight Operations. He's a legend in the room, and he's also Kranz's boss. And then the TV broadcast begins. Okay, Jim, uh, it's been a real good TV show. Uh, we think we ought to conclude it. 13, we've got one more item for you when you get a chance. We'd like you to uh, stir up your cryo tanks. Okay, stand by. Production is extremely good. Does this guy have any other podcasts by chance? Like other series? I think I think he does. And they only found this out recently when I was researching for my show notes for this because I looked him up at his company, which is Brady Haywood. And on their website, they have a section called podcasts. And this is one of them. So I, I think there are some more, which I'm interested in checking out. I don't know what they're about. But if they're in the same kind of vein where he's sort of analyzing and telling the story of something that went wrong that would probably be really interesting so I do have a note to check that out and see if there's more other podcasts to listen to from him because I did I did appreciate the production value being very good what I liked about the the sounds and the sound design is like you said it is ambient the ambient sound kind of flips between sometimes music sometimes just sort of a background noise of maybe some chatter if it's supposed to be like at a party. You know, if it's a mission control, you might hear actual radio, not that he's highlighting for the story, but just real radio chatter from the mission, but sort of soft and in the background. So you can get a sense that there's conversations happening. But yeah, it's it's really well done. The only one I think where he stopped and let a sound effect play was when the actual, like when they were stirring the tanks and there was a sound of kind of the wires short, shorting and then kind of a distant explosion that was very muted. But yeah, it, it's it's really, really well produced and put together, which I, I did look into this company, Wavelength Creative. Um, it does seem that their podcast hosting services or, or production services are more for companies. And they're obviously in Australia. I think they focus on Australian podcasts. But yeah, it, it the sound design was a huge plus for me. And I think... I really appreciated the cuts to the actual conversations back and forth between Capcom and the mission and the crew. Now, what I found interesting is where he said what the people were saying, where he's saying, like, instead of it playing the radio chatter, he'll say, oh, Cy said this to Gene Kranz, and then Gene Kranz responded with blah, blah, blah. You know, he'll just kind of read it. I suspect that he couldn't get his hands on the inter chatter, the radio chatter between the different stations. All of that's public record, but I think it's really hard to get because there's a project, I'm going to sidebar just a little bit here. There's a project uh, that a particular, oh, I think his name is Ben, Ben Feist. I could be getting that wrong. I'll have, a, I'll have a link in the show notes for sure, but it's called Apollo in Real Time. And he first did it for Apollo 11 and now he's got Apollo 13 and I think Apollo 17 where he collected all 100% of all of the audio from those missions and he has it play out in real time and there's all kinds of cool interactive tools you can switch between which stations you're listening to so if you want to listen to Gene Kranz's feed you can listen to that if you want to only listen to Capcom you can listen to that so highly recommend checking it out if you're kind of an Apollo era NASA nerd because it is the most comprehensive collection so but my suspicion is because when I first listened to this podcast my my main beef was why does he play some of the radio and then other times where it'd be interesting to hear because they'll even describe how panicked somebody is or concerned. It'd be cool to actually hear that discussion. But I think that 
that chatter between the different stations at, at Mission Control was hard, probably harder to get and or not readily available and or hadn't been remastered or anything. So without having to put a ton of money into it, um, I suspect that the stuff that he does play is what he could easily get his hands on in terms of quality audio. So I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna not count that as a strike against it because that was my only kind of real complaint when I first listened to it right. was, you know, okay, we'll play some more of the radio chatter. But I think he was just limited to what he had access to is my guess. Yeah, there, there was one scene in particular, and I think it was before they did the burn to get the gravity system around the moon where Lovell is not sure about his math. Mm-hmm. There's a conversation he has with, uh, I think it was Hayes, where he said, mm-hmm. he was just very like, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> that, that was kind mm-hmm. of like where he was going with that. He didn't say it in that exact word, but that's, he was just like, I yeah. just, ha- I don't have confidence in this. It would have been interesting to hear that chatter, but it, he didn't have it on hand. So uh, it, he d- did say that, you know, they, they picked it up. It's the, the audio is there. He just didn't, uh, didn't play it. Uh, but I, I didn't really take that as a negative because I thought having just all the chatter all the time may be annoying because it's that loud, staticky chatter. Yeah. And But it is nice to hear it occasionally. It was just one of the notes I had, but I didn't really put it out as, you know, a, as an actual negative. Uh, it was just something I observed. Yeah, and I will I will say that some of the audio, having listened to the Apollo in real time, sometimes the audio, if you don't have the transcript to read along with it, it's sometimes it's hard to understand what they're saying because it's not mm-hmm. exactly, especially when they're the the audio is coming from the moon back to Earth in the '60s or, or '70s. It's not exactly the best quality, so I could see why, especially in a podcast, because you don't have the visual component of the transcript and the subtitles or whatever to to help you understand what they're saying. That he probably had to make some choices about. Well, I'd love to play this, but I'd either have to read it first so they understood what was said, and then play it, which would be redundant, or just read it and that'll give the user the information they need or the listener the information they need. So I think he probably made good conscious decisions about that. Um, yeah. I just, I'm, I love the radio chatter. It's one of my favorite things about any of these types of documentaries is actually hearing the people who were experiencing the event speaking. But I, I totally get why he doesn't do it all the time here. It, it makes a lot of sense. One thing I liked about his podcast wasn't it wasn't so much a just like I'm just going to tell you the events of Apollo 13, you know, and just narrate the story. Mm-hmm. But he also explains things too, like why do they have to stir the O2 tanks? Um, mm-hmm. What what do they have to use water for? What are all the uses of water? Obviously for drinking, but blah, 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 these other reasons. And it kind of goes into a lot of technical aspects of the limb and the actual capsule. And he gets into some of the technical stuff, why it was designed the way it was designed and what it actually does, which I really appreciate because I find that super interesting because we have these iPhones, which is million times more powerful than the the computer that was in you know that landed us on the moon yes. so it's just so it's fascinating to me it was like i think we had mentioned it, no dumb questions yes. uh, at that saturn five museum where you can actually see the bits on the computer right it was hand woven by seamstress these uh copper wires so that was one of the things i really appreciated about it, it wasn't just more it, there was a lot of the technical aspects of the Apollo missions, which I find super interesting. And one thing that it was kind of interesting is that it shows you kind of how accurate Apollo 13 was. Yes. I had a note about that because I think a lot of people's experience with the Apollo 13 mission in general is from the movie Apollo 13, which is one of my all-time favorite films. I absolutely love it. And I did know that it was highly accurate, but because when you listen to this, you're like, oh, I remember when that happened in the movie. I remember when he said that. I remember... It, it, you can see how faithfully it was recreated, but... One of the things that, to your point, that they do, that this podcast does really, really well, is it gives you stuff that would have been really boring exposition or unnecessary in the film. They would have impacted Mm -hmm. the dramatic pacing, because you're talking about two hours of movie, was things that when I walked away from Apollo 13, I had questions about. One of the first things I looked up after seeing Apollo 13 for the first time was, how long was the re-entry? Because I thought, surely they enhanced that for dramatic effect, right? The fact that the re-entry was so much longer than expected and longer than any other re-entry from any other mission that they've had. And I was like, oh, they must have done that just to ramp up the drama, right? Well, no, it actually was longer than any re-entry. It was that dramatic, but they don't explain in the movie why, because that all, of course, was figured out after the fact. And in this podcast, which I won't spoil it for you because I know it's coming. You haven't listened to the whole series. He actually does explain why that re-entry took so long. And I was like, okay, thank you. Because that was something I'm sure I could get it from a book or, uh, and I've listened to, I've watched several documentaries about Apollo 13 and I actually have purchased the audiobook for Lost Moon. I haven't listened to it yet, but, um, but yeah, so I think he does a really good job of not, I won't say he gets so much into the weeds and the minutia that it becomes boring because it doesn't. 
but he does a really good job of giving you a lot of the the information about why some of that stuff's really important and or what exactly happened, like the detail that kind of fleshes out the story. Yeah. And I think there's a lot more problems that came up after the, you know, they stirred the tanks and it blew up. There's a lot more problems that came up that if you watched just Apollo 13, you wouldn't know if that were a problem. And one of the things I found interesting was that he had mentioned that they were actually on the return trip home. They were going too fast. Mm-hmm. And it would put them in the Atlantic and they weren't prepared. There was no way they can get the Navy prepared for retrieval in the Atlantic that fast. So they actually had them slow down a little bit mm-hmm. to wait for the Earth to rotate. So that way they would land in the Pacific. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the reentry was so long. Because it probably wasn't their original planned trajectory into the Earth, into Earth. So all these little kind of mundane things that would have been in a movie that maybe had easy solutions, they didn't really bring up. Because, you know, you only have so much time in a movie. Right. But I, I still enjoy listening to those problems and how NASA solves them. Because this, it's pretty much like everything that could have gone wrong in this mission went wrong. And we successfully solved all those problems. Yes. Um, and it's kind of like the Martian in a way that yes, there's always the next thing. problem to solve. And, yes. you know, so it's, and that's it. The surviving out in space is about problem solving. And so it's just really interesting to, you get a sense of just how ingenious these engineers were to think of some of the crazy solutions that they came up with to get these people home. Well, and to give Ron Howard credit too, in, in terms of the film, they did include, they like kind of cherry picked the things that happened. Because to your point, there was many more that happened, many more things that went wrong. And, and they might have been minor. Um, they did pick a few minor ones, like the fact that they would have to store all of the urine because the urine dumps would potentially push them off the core, the trajectory. Right. So they, they did pick and choose a few, but they did a nice balance where it wasn't just burying you in all this information or making the movie five hours long. But the beauty of a podcast is it can be longer. You can get all that information. It can still be entertaining and riveting if you have a good storyteller. And I think this guy does have a really good delivery style. And I think he also did a really great job writing the script because I think he had some assistance, obviously, from Wavelink Creative in terms of editing. But I thought that the historical context that he provided was really perfectly targeted. So when you go into the story of Apollo 13 or any Apollo mission, there's all this history leading up to how they got there. And you could do a whole series on just that or mini series on, on that. So you have to be really picky and choosy about what you grab. And when I first listened to it, I, when he started talking about Apollo 1, I was thinking, okay, that, I mean, it is related, obviously, and it's important to the story of Apollo 13, but I was wondering why specifically he was choosing it. And then it, it became very clear the reason he chose it is because he wanted to talk about how Gene Kranz took the accountability both on himself and his team and said, this is all of our fault. Like every single mm-hmm. one of us is responsible for this fire and these three men's death and the whole tough but competent thing and how we're going to handle this sort of thing going forward. That's important because that drives how they handled Apollo 13. That establishing that level of accountability as well as that ability to problem solve and to be accountable and to be tough but competent no matter what you need to do. Famously, Gene Kranz, his, his, the way he ran that ship is the reason that a big part of the reason why Apollo 13 was a successful failure. So I think the things that he chose when he was talking about it and the stuff about Lovell not being in the first astronaut class, like being rejected. Like I didn't yep. even know that. I, I didn't, I actually put that in as a note is like, I had no idea that he was going for the Mercury program. Yeah, exactly. So that was, that was, uh, I think he did a really nice job. He didn't spend too long. Cause I think that first episode is only 32 minutes, but it, it sets up exactly what you need. And I love that he started it is, this is just smart writing. He started with the event. Right. The very first thing you lead into is the Houston, we've had a problem. And he gives you that little snippet because you know that's what you're there for. You, if you know anything about Apollo 13, you know that. And then he cuts back and starts giving you the, the history leading up to the event. Uh, and he does it very succinctly, gets you what you need. I, I just really appreciate the pacing and the way he sort of laid out the narrative. It was really, really good. And for some reason, I kept having visions of Clint Howard talking <laughs> you know, time during you some of those episodes. Yes. <laughs> Every time he mentions Cy Liebergott or Gene yeah. Kranz. I mean, Gene Kranz, I sort of... I picture both the real Gene Kranz because I watched so many documentaries and Ed Harris because he did such a ph- phenomenal job. But yes, anytime he mentions Cy, I, I picture Clint Howard in my head <laughs> <laughs> and I can hear him talking. <laughs> this kind of reminded me a lot. There was a series on Discovery Channel. Uh, it was called When We Left Earth. Yeah, I want to say it was like eight episodes or maybe maybe 10. It was Gary Sinise did yes. the uh, narrating for it. Yep. And it's it's all interviews and it's all clips you know, of various stages of the Mercury, Gemini, uh, Apollo, the Skylab, shuttle, mm-hmm. ISS, all that stuff. It reminded me a lot of that because it's using all this historical stuff and it's using direct stuff from these people who were there. So if you enjoy this series, I definitely recommend looking for uh, When We Left Earth, which 
it used to be on Netflix. It's not on Netflix anymore, so I don't know where you can get it. I guess maybe if you have Discovery Plus now or something, it might be on there. But but if you ever see it, I would definitely check it out if you enjoy this podcast. Yeah, and I, I, I appreciate that reminder because I love that series and I haven't watched it in a long time. And I did just sign up for Discovery Plus, so I'm going to be going back and finding it because that is that was a fantastic series, I agree, for sure. Yeah. So... I guess I, I could probably talk longer about this because I just love this topic, but I'd probably go off the podcast and talk about other stuff. So I will go ahead and say, I, I think it's pretty obvious. I love this podcast. I do not hate it. I uh, have listened to it two and a half times now. Um, and I keep it in my feed just because if I'm kind of out of things to listen to, which isn't really a problem anymore now that we're doing this podcast, but it, it was kind of a default one I could go back and listen to and enjoy. The one thing I didn't mention I'll call out is that um, just because this kind of thing will distract me and in case anybody else has the same problems, so Dr. Sean Brady has a very interesting accent. He has, I thought he was Irish. I'm pretty sure there is Irish there. I mean, his name is very Irish, but he lives in Australia. So it's, it doesn't quite sound like a normal Irish accent. There's, and it's not quite Australian. So I spent probably longer than I should have sitting there going, what accent is that? Let me try to figure it out. So uh, just to save yourself that, if you are that kind of person who's like, oh, is he from South Africa? What is this? You know, it's some sort of combination, I think, of Irish and Australian accents. So I'll save you the frustration if that sort of thing kind of hangs you up as you try to figure it out. Yeah, and for my rating, I, I definitely don't hate it. I loved it, and I will finish it. I uh, didn't get a chance to fully finish it, but I will for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I probably need to look to see what his other podcasts are, because if it's as well as produced as this one, then those are probably going to be pretty good too. Uh, who knows? They could be a completely different subject for all I know. They could be talking about pregnancy. I don't know. But um, <laughs> As it's on his forensic engineering company's website, I'd be shocked if that was the topic. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing about his accent, though, it's not as thick because uh, we did the episode on uh, History on Fire, which this guy has a super thick Italian accent. Mm. His accent is it's not as thick as... Uh, Bellelli. And the thing is, it's like his actual, his narration, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's monotone. No, uh, it's not. But it's not, it's not excitable though, right? He's, he, he has a consistent pace with the way he describes stuff, but it, there's no like level of excitement or it, there's no dramaticism. Yeah, he's not acting. Right. Yeah, exactly. He's not acting. There's no drama to it and it's straight, and, but it's not monotone though. So, but yeah, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was a great series. So I'll definitely be checking to see what else he has out there. Yeah, I would, I would, I would compare it to like a really good voiceover narrator for a documentary series or something. He's, yeah. he's tells it well. He doesn't inject a lot of performance into his reading of it, but it's also not monotone. And and you're right. I, I didn't mean to imply that his accent was super thick or anything. It's just an interesting accent. So, but it, yeah. he does a really great job, and it's totally you're not gonna have any problem understanding him. So next up, we're going to be talking about a podcast called The Way I Heard It, hosted by Mike Rowe. Uh, This one is completely independently produced by Mike Rowe. I mean, he has a bit of a production team that works with him for his Mike Rowe Works content and activity, but he is, I think, the driver behind this one. I know he writes all of the episodes. And the kind of official description of it is, or the short version is, you know, short mysteries for the curious mind with a short attention span. So there's been a shift in the content slash layout of the podcast recently, which I'll speak to, but the original conceit for the podcast for the vast majority of his back library is kind of Paul Harvey style. He will tell a story, and at the end of the episode, you'll find out who that story was about. He does intentionally call the podcast the way I heard it because this is the way he heard it. He's not saying that this is 100% factually accurate. It is a true story but he may embellish the details based on what he's heard or somebody else may have embellished the details and he's just relaying what he's heard. But it is truly the way he heard it. Uh, I'll give an example and I won't say which episode it is in case you like the little surprise at the end of finding out who it is about, but there's an episode where he's... Uh, the character in question ends up being Mel Brooks. And it's it's a story that I had never heard about Mel Brooks. I did not know this was in his past. It was highly entertaining, very funny, typically of Mel Brooks. But that's the kind of thing. And, and the character in question could be somebody from history, could be somebody who, uh, again, is a, a Hollywood celebrity, could be a musician, could be anything. They're very, very well written. If you aren't familiar with Micro, I think he first became famous as the host of Dirty Jobs. He did have some minor kind of San Francisco-based TV program prior to getting the Dirty Jobs gig with Discovery Channel. And then he's hosted, well, he's done the voiceovers for tons of Discovery material, including Deadliest Catch, How the Universe Works. There's a litany of things that he's done voiceovers for. He has a very interesting and colorful past, uh, if you know anything about Micro. The podcast is just his kind of fun 
little stories. They're very short. They range in length from like seven to 10 minutes. The actual podcast length will be a little longer because he'll do a quick intro at the beginning that sort of teases the story. And then he'll have a, a quick ad read from whoever's sponsoring it. And then he launches into the story and the story itself might be seven to 10 minutes. And so the shift I mentioned is just that in recent episodes, he's been reading a chapter from his book. His recent book is called The Way I Heard It. And each chapter features one of his Way, the way I heard his stories. And then it's followed by a story from his personal life that kind of ties into that story. Maybe the theme is similar or something in the story kind of launches into his personal life sort of thing. And then he'll talk about the episode afterwards, that particular chapter of the book, either with his friend Chuck or in the last episode, it was his mom because she was, you know, the story was about uh, his parents. So right now the podcast has had a little bit of a shift. So the episodes are a little longer because of the conversation component. But if you skip the conversation component at the end, it's still probably about the same length, uh, maybe just a few minutes longer with the additional part of the chapter. That's kind of a long intro into what this podcast is. I think you had at least heard of the podcast, right? You knew of it, or was this the first you'd heard of it? Uh, I kind of knew about it because I actually own the book. I haven't read it yet, but I I own the book uh, the way I heard it. And I've heard Micro talk about it before because, you know, he kind of does, he's somewhat active on social media. And... And I like Mike Rowe, right? He's just, he's a, like you say, he's an interesting guy. He's very likable. <laughs> he's very likable. And one thing you don't see a lot these days is kind of the championing or championing of the blue collar, middle class America people. Because, you know, it seems like Hollywood media tend to kind of look down on the great unwashed, if you will. Um, <laughs> but he, in Dirty Jobs is almost kind of like his life changed because of Dirty Jobs, not just because it kind of made him like somewhat famous and I'm sure he became wealthy off of it but his outlook I think on just American people dramatically changed mm-hmm. he champions those people and that he you know these jobs we think of them as being dirty jobs but they're important jobs we should be putting these people up on a pedestal because they're doing these terrible jobs uh, so it's kind of a long uh, digression but that's how I've kind of known about Mike Rowe, right? I think, and I think it's important context too, if you don't know who Mike Rowe is to understand, because the podcast is very much him. It's very, it's his style, it's his delivery, it's his writing and his choice of, of people that he picks to highlight in, in the series. So I think it is important context to understand who Mike Rowe is and kind of what he's passionate about, because it, it is relevant as he is the host and it's really his show. Yeah, yeah. And he, he is very passionate about just the ordinary Americans working doing their jobs uh, and they're doing these terrible jobs that people don't want to do and how important they are. And I remember listening to him back when COVID first hit and we had the the more major lockdowns, how it's impacting these people. And he was very concerned about it. He's super empathetic to these people who were losing their jobs. And he was like, we're saying that your job's not essential. What, what does that do to you from a psychological standpoint? You know, he was very concerned mm-hmm. about that kind of stuff. And he's always been, you know, advocating to lawmakers and stuff saying we need to promote you know, skilled labor. We need to promote people going into things like electrician, carpentry, masonry, because we don't have Mm -hmm. enough of those people. So he's very, so he's almost got this aura of kind of like the blue collar guy. But when he talks, he's got the most incredible voice, right? Just like, it's like the perfect (laughs) radio voice. And the one thing, and it's kind of a knock on, on, as much as I like him, there is one little knock on him is that Every time he talks, it sounds like it's scripted. Even if I know he's not reading from a script, it sounds like it's scripted. I've heard him in interviews. He sounds like he's reading from a script. Like his his way of delivery of just conversation is the same exact way as if he's reading you a story, which is kind of weird to me. So one of my notes I had in here was like, I don't know if this is actually scripted or not. Now, obviously, in the newer episodes, like I said, there, there's been a format change to where each episode is between five and 15 minutes. Now they're at least 30 minutes, sometimes even up to an hour long. He's actually reading from the book. It and, But when the sections where he's not reading from the book, it sounds like he's reading from a book. So <laughs> I don't know if the, if the thing is actually scripted or not. So, okay, I will tell you the episodes are the... The content of the stories are all written, and they're written by him. Okay. Which is why when he published the book, he was like, well, I've already written all these stories. I'll just put them in a book and then add some additional stories from my life. So he does write all of these, and he's said that many a times in in his other kind of social media posts, and and even in a few of the episodes in his intros, he'll be like, yeah, when I sit down to write these, sometimes I think about what, you know. So he, 
And he had done for a little while, he did a little segment after each episode called The Way I Talk About the Way I Heard It. It kind of gets into the inspiration for the story, how he found out about it, why he wrote it, etc. So they are written. But I think what you're talking about is a side effect of a couple of things. First of all, he's very well educated and he's just naturally well spoken. Like you said, when he's in an interview... He comes off completely just, he's very, very good on camera. He's very good. He just has a natural speaking cadence. This may come from years and years and decades of voiceover work. The guy's been a voiceover artist for the vast majority of his career. So I think his he's his probably sort of self-consciously or unconsciously trained himself to speak in a certain cadence when there's something recording as a result of that. So I think that's probably part of it. But even when he's just joking around or talking to his mom or talking to Chuck, just everything he says is, I wouldn't say it sounds written because I I think I've heard him enough in casual other media that I know that's just how he talks, but he's just incredibly well-spoken. I just wanted to say that you portrayed your parents in a light that wasn't altogether accurate, although it was based on, it was based on fact but you did prevaricate just a little bit. Look, the, but the broad strokes are true. Dad was incredibly parsimonious, um, and you both were very inventive. I mean, you did engender in me a, uh, a certain pity for the well-off. Uh, you really did, whether you meant to or not, and I, I thought that was kind of ingenious. And, even when, and he's very witty. He's incredibly funny uh, and very quick with puns. So I think that's just a natural component of him being really well-spoken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and to touch on his humor, super dry. Yes, yes. Although he loves double entendres. He did it when he was in Dirty Jobs. It was oh, constant. Yeah, yeah. And he would slip them in. And, and you know that many of those got past the editors without even them realizing what he was saying. Um, <laughs> because I'm sure if they knew what he was saying in some cases, they would have been like, uh, we have to cut that out. That's not family friendly. But he is so good at it that he could do it without it being caught by anybody. So and I know it's gotten him, he got him into some trouble when he was on QVC when he was really young. He did, wasn't quite as slick as slipping them in there. So he, uh, he got a little bit of trouble with that. But yeah, he has a really great sense of humor. And I think it comes through in his storytelling as well. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons the podcast is, is really good. And, and unlike with uh, History on Fire, which that guy has a very dry sense of humor as well, Mike Rowe is much better at delivering it. And mm-hmm. to the point where you don't know it's a joke, it's just it's just wit. And so that that is one thing about Mike Rowe that I love is that he is, like you said, he's very witty, very funny, but it's that very kind of dry sense of humor. Even the double entendre is very dry. And that's probably the reason why he got past the editors because it's just how dry it is. And he can do it with a straight face. Yes. Yeah. That's the other thing is like, he never laughs at his own joke. His delivery method of this humor is always, you got to be listening to him because you're always going to catch it. It was like that, like you said, in Dirty Jobs as well. To give you an example about how dry his humor was, one of the episodes of Dirty Jobs, which was he was on a uh, Alaskan fishing boat and mm-hmm. it's you know rocky waters. He felt terrible, right? He had terrible seasickness the entire time. And the type of fish they were catching, they told him, well, we sell these fish because, you know, the Japanese like, you know, this this organ. They like the eyes or whatever, you know, um, right. why, they, why they're catching these specific fish. So he said, well, are you guys able to prepare those things? And they're like, sure, we can prepare that. And they give it to him. And here he is. He feels terrible already. And he's eating these disgusting meals. <laughs> but he keeps yeah. his humor. He keeps up his humor. He's still witty. Mm-hmm. And... It's so dry, and it's it was one of the funniest uh, episodes of Dirty Jobs, in my opinion. So you have to kind of like that kind of humor. And like I said, his voice is just, there's a reason why he does so much voiceover work, because it's just, it, it's such a great voice. It's like butter. Yeah. He, let's, let's be honest. Well, and, and he, he was an opera singer. That's what he, he did before he got into TV at all, was he, he sang in the opera in Boston, so or in uh, Baltimore, excuse me. So yeah, he's got this incredible baritone voice. Again, his delivery style, his his he's just tailor-made to have a podcast because yeah. the guy, his voice is his living and always has been. I think what's fun about the podcast is when you're listening to it because you know there's always going to be a surprise at the end of who this is about, you're trying to guess who it is. And he's played on that a couple of times. This is why he's such a clever writer. There's been a few episodes where he's intentionally making you think he's talking about someone. And so you think you've got it figured out, right? He's telling the story in a way that like, okay, he's talking about, I can't remember a specific example, but I'll say he's talking about Michael Jackson, clearly. 
And it'll turn out he's talking about some musician from like the 1800s or something who just had a very similar, a lot of similar kind of bookmarks in their life to that character. So he he knows that that's what you're trying to do as you listen to the episode because that's sort of the point. And he will occasionally trick you, which is the fun of the episode. And I did not listen to a lot of Paul Harvey. I was very aware of him, but he this clearly was inspired by Paul Harvey and his, you know, the rest of the story. It's really, really, really well produced, of course. I mean, the guy does voiceovers for a living. He has access to, you know, he uses a recording studio, a recording booth. He's got somebody who handles his editing, although there's not a lot of editing because he's such a professional at this sort of stuff. But that's just the sound quality is amazing. Uh, Highlights how good his voice is. So it's just a pleasure to listen to. Ed had no reason to lie. None whatsoever. And yet, he did. Time and time again, Ed stretched the truth even when his far-fetched fabrications serve no purpose. A horseback encounter with a bear during a summer job evolved into a series of harrowing adventures. There were knife fights in railroad yards. There were tent mates killed by falling trees. There were terrifying rides through Indian country. But there were no witnesses to support any of this. During World War II, Ed claimed that OSS director Wild Bill Donovan wanted him on a secret mission to parachute into occupied France as the leader of a seven-man team of assassins. Ed also claimed that Hitler sent a U-boat to kill him. Wild Bill Donovan confirmed none of this. When he applied to the University of Chicago, Ed claimed to have been practicing law in Kentucky when, in fact, He'd been teaching high school and coaching basketball, a pointless prevarication that very nearly ruined his career. But the tall tale he told in 1925 topped them all, a strange story of an unearthly encounter on a remote hilltop in Los Angeles. What exactly did Ed see on that fateful night in the hills? Was it a ghost, a Bigfoot, a UFO? No. It was something else, something truly unbelievable. And this time, there was a witness on hand to corroborate Ed's incredible story. A witness who just happened to be a hooker. And again, because they're pretty short, you can barrel through a ton of them. The thing about about Mike Rowe is he knows when he's being funny. He knows exactly how to deliver the lines. He does like to slip in the double entendres. He does it even in his podcast. Like there'll be, there'll be, there's an episode actually that sounds incredibly dirty. Like when you're listening to it and he said he got some, you know, because he has a lot of fans who are very kind of straight laced and stuff because he was on Discovery for so many years. He just comes across as very wholesome, but he's really quite dirty sometimes. But he was telling us this one episode and... It sounds really, I mean, he doesn't get explicit, but it sounds very, you know, like it's all about sex and everything. And you're kind of going, what is this story? And then it turns out it's completely not what you thought he was talking about. Everything he said was relevant to something, some other activity. It wasn't sex. It was something else. But again, he does such a good job writing it. that Half the fun is just waiting to see what the twist is going to be at the end. And there's so many in his back catalog, so many that you can just... I, I have in the past, because I had fallen behind on some of the episodes, I'll just queue up like eight of them in a row and just listen to them like while I'm cleaning house. And I absolutely love it. Yeah. And, and I think that's pretty easy to do, too, considering the fact that it, so the format change looked like it happened on episode 178 and he, he has over 180 episodes now. So there's 177 episodes that are all between five and 15 minutes. So that's not a daunting task to work through that back catalog, unlike some podcasts. And again, you have way more exposure to this one than I do, but I'm assuming that they're all pretty much standalones, right? Yes, they're completely independent of each other. There's one exception, uh, and it actually is the reason the podcast shifted a bit. So there's an episode, I think it's I think it's episode 178. It's called The the Trouble with Episode something. It might be 177, but it's um, he's basically addressing a controversy that came up because he had done an episode about the trouble with 159 that's the name of the episode and it is one episode 176 basically he had done an episode about a particular baseball player i i I think the episode was actually about the beginning of the use of the high five but it involved a, a player who was gay and he made a comment or he said that this other co this coach had 
refer to him as a, a slur, a bad word. Long story short, the the son of the coach in question actually reached out to Micro and said, there is no way that's true. My father was super, super tolerant. He loved this guy. He was one of the favorite people on his team, and he would not tolerate any crap about him being gay on the team. Like, he he called people to task multiple times if they ever said anything. He says, there's no way my father ever used that slur when referring to him. And so Mike was like, look, the show is called The Way I Heard It. This is the way I heard this story. I'm not saying that it's 100% accurate. I never have. But he wanted to be fair and say, look, this challenge has come up. This His son says... This would never have happened. So I don't know if the information I got, which he sourced, he you know explained where he got this information was from an article or something. And so that episode kind of deals with the fallout from that and his concern about whether or not he should even continue with this podcast because he doesn't want to misrepresent something in a negative way that potentially, you know, because just because the way he heard it, it may not be true he has an out but he doesn't necessarily also want to be the guy who's spreading misinformation so to speak so he kind of had a bit of a struggle morally with how to move forward with the podcast after that and I think he got a lot of feedback of please don't stop the podcast we all love it among his fans so he shifted and decided to temporarily kind of take this different route where he's essentially because the the, the chapters of the book are prior episodes of the podcast. Like the, the story that starts each chapter is one of a prior episode. So you're sort of rehearing some of those greatest hits, so to speak. And then you hear the, the rest of the chapter from the book, which I've read the book, but I still like listening to it because, you know, it's micro. He's really good at reading his own book, obviously. So there is some... Uh, reason that he's had this shift and I don't know what that means for the future of the podcast I don't know if he's going to go back to the way he was doing it before or if he's going to change how he's doing it he's sort of playing around with the format right now um, as he kind of works through that and figures it out one thing that I found interesting was his sponsors are very interesting uh (laughs) yes it's not because typically you see it on both YouTube and on uh, especially mostly with self-read ads right so micro has self-read ads so that means Mm -hmm. a, a a company came to him saying, hey, we want you to sponsor our product. Mm-hmm. And there's usually always the same kind of products that get, you know, schlepped around by podcasters and YouTubers. Things like, you know, Bombas Socks or uh, Audible or uh, Blue, Ape- Blue Apron, you know, all these kind of things. And HelloFresh. Yeah. And so they're all kind of shared. But Micro has like big corporate sponsors. Which, yes. I mean, and granted, yes, you know, like in iHeart, you're going to get like a Geico ad or a Lexus ad or something like that. But it's just a commercial. But this is like micro getting a, you know, and, and, and I'm assuming the way iHeart works is that like Geico will just say, I want to buy ad space. And then iHeart determines where to plug that in. Um, right. Whereas this means SunTrust Bank came to Mike Rowe saying, hey, we want a spot on your podcast. I, I found that just very interesting. I, I don't know why, because, you know, after listening to so many podcasts and hearing so many ads, I was like, oh, that's that's actually a big, that's a big corporate sponsor. Yeah, he's been sponsored by NetSuite by Oracle, which is a massive, massive software company. He's had some kind of HR software. I think it was, it wasn't, no, it was PeopleSoft or something. I don't remember. It was some huge company. A lot of people who target corporate clients. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason for that, so, and I think it's important also for context. So Micro, his his big thing in his life is MicroWorks, which is a nonprofit company that he runs, organization, I should say, not company, that offers scholarships to people who want to learn a skilled trade. And the only thing you have to do to, to be considered for this scholarship, you just have to sign off on what he calls the work ethic creed or something. And it's basically like, I commit to, maybe I won't enjoy doing this aspect of a job, but I'll still do my job. You know, it's basically just like a, you need to have a good work ethic for us to consider you for this scholarship. And so he raises a ton of money for this, for this particular, I mean, he does it with auctions. He does it with, uh, he'll auction off stuff from his dirty job era. He'll auction off. Somebody said, hey, I'll donate a thousand dollars to your charity if you'll sing the full Grinch Christmas song, you know, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. And so, which he does that every year, but somebody always pays out the nose for it. So he, he's very creative in terms of, of raise of raising money for his, his charity, his foundation. He has had a lot of those kind of, like Wolverine, the company that makes all the work, the great work boots and work shoes uh, for blue collar jobs. They've sponsored him multiple times, both on his podcast and they've donated money to MicroWorks. Most of the people who sponsor his podcast have also at some point donated to, most of those companies have donated to MicroWorks as well. So 
the podcast has a bit of a broader appeal to I think a certain age group. I think that's why age group of people who would potentially work at influential levels at a company might maybe maybe mid management or senior management, but people in their forties and fifties are probably his his and sixties his demographic. So I think the the level of or the type of advertiser who wants to target that demographic, especially if they're working professionals, and I think specifically companies that they're blue collar industries, right? So people who are leadership have leadership roles in these companies who do things like plumbing and all these things that he champions i think that's who they're targeting with those ads you know because they know that those people listen to mike grow so it, it is very interesting because you listen to it and you're like what so he is very single-minded in what he champions and what he cares about and he doesn't give a crap like how he gets money for it or how he raises money for it his goal is to pay for people to become skilled laborers because there's a huge there's a huge gap in the number of people needed versus or the number of open jobs in that role versus people who are interested in going into them. Yeah. And, and that's one thing about Mike Rosa. He's very apolitical. He's like, I'm willing to work with anybody as long if they can help me out, you know, with his sweat pledge and, you know, his, uh, like I said, his foundation. And he's like, I, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. If you want to help people learn a skill and get a job, I'm all for yep. it. You know, I'll take your money for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so and, and, and you're right. Now that you mention it, it's almost like listening to talk radio as far as the ads go because you could listen to talk radio especially because I, I used to listen to some talk radio uh, especially like around finances and the markets and stuff and it was always commercials for like hr software it, it was all corporate ads like i'm talking to somebody who works at a business who needs a solution so i'm going to advertise mm-hmm. during this show and so yeah it, it definitely feels that way so that's interesting that these companies feel that that's kind of the demographic. And I guess maybe it's the follow-up from, or people following micro after dirty jobs. Because if anything, these companies, they probably fought to get on dirty jobs because it's good for their business, essentially. And there was actually an episode of Dirty Jobs that was interesting, which was one guy who owned the company, he was not happy being on the show. Like, he was very annoyed by it. And I remember Mike being like, I, I don't I don't understand this, why, why you're just so annoyed by this. But... Because if anything, it's a net gain for those companies. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I think these companies, these people need these kind of skilled labor that Micro is, you know, is fighting for. And mm-hmm. uh, and I guess maybe that's the reason why these people just naturally would want to listen and follow Micro. I mean, and that's the thing is like the way I heard it, it it's not dirty jobs, right? He's not talking no. about skilled labor issues in America and uh, no. he's, he's not talking about all this stuff. Like I said, it's just choose an interesting story about somebody and you try to guess who it is. But it's just interesting kind of like getting that context around him and what his audience is and just who he is. And I think the demographic is driven by who he is and his fans, yeah. and his following versus the subject of his podcast. Now, his fans also happen to like the subject of his podcast, but the only way you're going to know about this podcast probably, I mean, it is very, very highly rated in terms of ranking on Apple Podcasts or whatever. He was sitting at number one for quite a while. But that's because he has this huge army of followers who like whatever he produces. The ads are not... It's one of the rare occasions where the ads are not driven by the con- the content itself. It's, it's driven by... And, and the demographic is driven by the person who's hosting it. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense in that context. But yeah, if you listen to the podcast purely just on what it is, you'd be wondering why the heck ZipRecruiter has sponsored multiple months of this podcast. Although that is one that does a lot of podcast sponsorship, ZipRecruiter does. And sometimes I'm, it's on podcasts where I'm like, I don't understand this. Why does this <laughs> podcast, why is it sponsored by ZipRecruiter? That makes zero sense. But in this case, it makes sense, I think, based on Micro's following specifically. So I think I think it's, it's fair to say it, it's a wide audience that would appreciate this podcast. If you like Micro, you're probably already aware and you probably already listened to it. But if you... If you like Micro and you haven't heard the podcast, definitely check it out. You're probably going to enjoy it. But if you don't know anything about Micro and you're like, who the heck are they talking about? Or I, you vaguely know of the Dirty Jobs guy, you might just like it. If you love Paul Harvey, you will certainly like this podcast because it's very, very kind of similar vein in terms of the storytelling. But I guess I should, I mean, my my rating is obvious. I don't hate this podcast. I love it. I'm the one who suggested it. I, I wanted to cover it on the podcast because I think it's really, really good and entertaining. But uh I'm going to guess it sounds like you pretty much liked it too. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't hate it. it. And to be honest, I think I I don't know if I'm a huge fan of the of the uh, format change. I yeah. think I like the smaller dose episodes. It's not enough to make me say I hate it. I mean, obviously not, but I mean, I, I still love it, but I do prefer the previous format. 
Yeah, and I think I like this format because I like the extra content of him chatting with Chuck and or this is like a nice for me this these episodes are like a nice addendum to the book. So like you've read the book, you get to hear the chapter again read by Mike Rowe, which is of course lovely. But then you also get to hear his thoughts on the story about his personal life. And anytime he calls his mom and records it, it's entertaining because his mom is also equally hilarious. So I do like these episodes, but in the context of the podcast, I prefer the podcast to be what it was. I'm glad he's he's releasing this, but I feel like it could have been a a separate thing that was like an addendum to the book or an add-on or, or additional media around the book. I don't know what that would have looked like per se, but I like it. It's just, I think... I like the podcast to be what the podcast was. And then I also like this other thing that he's doing right now because I still find it entertaining. But yeah, I think if, even if you're not f- like crazy about the the current format, um, there's a whole lot of the back catalog you can go listen to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I agree with that. And one one point is that I have to mention Joe Rogan. So um, I, <laughs> I don't know if Mike Rowe's been on Joe Rogan. I, to be honest, I've only seen Mike Rowe on other people's programs to be interviewed, not just to have long form conversations so yeah i that's a good question i don't know if he's been on rogan he's been on a lot of stuff i mean he he like i said he cares not who wants to talk to him if it's going to get his his scholarship foundation some attention he will do it he'll do interviews with any magazine he's been on cnn he's been on nbc he's been on msnbc he's been on today's show he's been on fox news he's been on every news program you can imagine again to to talk about his and sometimes they'll take an angle of what do you think about this news story and he he's literally there just to give a short little answer and then segue it somehow and he's very good at it, into talking about his scholarship foundation because that's that's why he's there so yeah. so he's really he's really agnostic about that i would not be surprised I really now I want to look it up and see if he was on Joe Rogan because it feels like the kind of thing he would excel at. Well, I don't know because I've heard him on uh, Ben Shapiro to Sunday special or whatever. I, I listened to that because I was like, it, I noticed that Mike Rose on there. I was like, Mike Rose on Shapiro. That's interesting because normally he's very apolitical. And so I was like, well, I got to mm-hmm. listen to this then because Ben Shapiro is that that's another podcast. Hyper political. Um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it, and again, it just it was more of an interview as opposed to a discussion. And I'm like. Dang it! I was I would like to hear just this long form discussion that isn't him, you know, trying to get Mike Rose works stuff. Just just talking with uh, somebody, and and I know Joe Rogan would be he he doesn't interview right. He always says that he's just doing a conversation, which I don't think Mike Rose has ever done that kind of thing before. Well, he's done it, but he's done it like on his social media with his fans, or he's done it where he calls his mom and dad and has a conversation with them and he records it and just posts it like hey here's this for your entertainment i've seen him i mean he's not done anything where it's like a couple of hours like a, a rogan episode would be but i feel like i've seen him talk a lot and com- have a lot of conversations but now that i think about it it's always with people that are on his show or i mean he's had conversations with chuck that he's put on facebook before because they've been friends for i think since high school uh when they were in a barbershop quartet together yeah, so I, I, it would be interesting. I think it would be great. And I think Mike Rose, he's a very good conversationalist in the things that I have seen him with. But I don't think I've seen anything that's that long form. I will I will grant that. I've seen him talking, like if you watch Dirty Jobs, he one of the reasons the show was so great is he draws out these people and talks to them about why they do what they do. And, and, and he's an excellent, excellent conversationalist. So I think he'd be good at something like that. But it's, it's kind of odd that he hasn't done it. Because like I said, he'll hawk his thing wherever he can, his his foundation. So I, if the opportunity arose, I'm sure he would he would jump at it. Have thoughts you want to share? Send us an email at whyihateyourpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at whyihateyourpodcast.com. You can also find us at Hate Your Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Our intro, transition, and outro music is by Kevin McLeod and licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the show notes for details.